I feel like one of the biggest myths in music is that like frying your brain on drugs will bring you to a level of excellence that you would never otherwise achieve. And it's total bullshit. You're listening to Chirp Docs from the Chicago Independent Radio Project 107.1 FM. I'm Jesse D. This week's doc, Elia Einhorn's Passion and Service Project, Sober 21. Hey, I'm Elia Einhorn. As a musician, I used to be the front man of Scotland Yard Gospel Choir. Shout out Chicago. Shout out the glory years of Bloodshot Records. And uh, now my collaborations project is called Fashion Brigade. And we release stuff on Gentle Reminder Records. I host Sonos Radio and Pitchfork Radio. I hosted the Talk House podcast for seven years. I mean, so much stuff. You're probably already turning this off because I'm just boring you with what I do before we even get to why I'm here. I'm also the editor of a new collection just released by the Creative Independent called Sober 21. Sober 21 is a compendium of essays by and interviews with 21 sober musicians, including Run DMC and Niall Rogers, in addition to Chicago locals like Emily Kempf of Dead. You know, there's this whole thing about the 27 Club, right? Kurt Cobain, Janis Joplin. F*** that. That's ridiculous. 27 to me, when Kurt died, I was 14. It seemed like, you know, he may as well have been 85. And, and it makes me it makes me so sad for him for that for that soul that's so beat up. So many of the musicians I think tackle this, and these are people who are putting out incredible music. I mean, look at DMC, right? Literally, someone who changed the trajectory of music, who helped invent hip hop. Look at Nile Rodgers. You know, these are geniuses who were, you know, maybe had a brief period with drugs that helped, and then almost killed them and almost tanked their careers. And look at them now. I mean, Nile Rogers told me in his piece, what we did his piece is an interview. Some are essays, some are as told to, some are interviews. And he said, Elliot, I have more hits now than I've ever had. I'm making better music now than I ever have. And why choose a zine format? Because I wanted it to have the feeling of a collection. I, I didn't want it to feel like something that you engage with a piece of. And I wanted people to be able to hold it in their hands and engage with it in the way that I have gotten the most out of reading. Books have changed my life. And zines, I interned at Drag City. One of my jobs as an intern there was organizing their zine wall. And it opened my mind to incredible things. And the things I learned from zines have changed my life. And and I wanted this to do that for other people, potentially. I went to rehab and I was still in high school. I would take the brown line up to rehab and um, I really wanted it. I was so desperately, desperately afraid that um, I, I would, that I either had lost my mind from all the drugs and drinking or that I would, you know, I, I felt like I was teetering right on the edge and I'd had some pretty serious consequences. Like I remember in 96, I was going to see the specials at the Metro. I'd taken a ton of drugs. So I'm like, um, Tylenol threes with codeine and a bunch of mushrooms and smoked an insane amount of weed. And I started hallucinating walls of color. So I couldn't even see in front of me. Well, the red line pulled into Addison, the doors opened, and I literally just fell straight out of the train onto the train platform. And you know, it's concrete. And I was, and I, and I came to spitting pieces of my teeth out onto the 
train platform. So, I mean, you know, that's just one example of, of many. You know, thankfully, I got sobriety. You know, music was one of the things, music was one of the only things that kept me sane because my mind was racing, you know, 90 miles an hour when I got sober. So I started playing more and more music. And once I was sober for a year, I ended up going to college downtown at Columbia for modern music. I'm 41. I have been in music now for like over two decades. First as an artist who had like, thankfully, some like some real successes. And so I got to be on some amazing tours and, you know, meet amazing artists. And, and then as a host of radio and podcasts and TV, all having to do with music. So I knew a lot of these folks already. Like I'll give an example. Tyler Pope from LCD Sound System. I was hosting Pitchfork Radio at this boutique hotel outside Coachella. And Tyler is the bassist in LCD, and they were headlining Coachella that year. He came through to spin a set at the pool party. And we had this beautiful open bar. Like, it was a, it was a really nice hotel. We had a beautiful open bar for the artists. And, um, and I said, hey, man, can I get you anything you want to drink while you're spinning? And he was like, no, I don't drink. And I could see by the way he said it, because I've been sober long enough, I could tell by the way he said it, that he was really saying, like, I'm sober. Not just that I don't, I happen to not drink for some reason, but I'm sober. We realized, you know, we both had years sober and it was this powerful connection. And he said to me, man, I'm so glad that you're sober because, you know, it's so crazy being out here at Coachella during all this. And Tyler was one of the first people I went to. And I said, look, man, I, I really want to share these experiences. What do you wish you'd known about when you got sober? And he said, stage fright. I want to write about stage fright. So he sent me this beautiful essay about having to uh, get sober and hit the road with LCD sound system and how he got through it. It's very powerful stuff. As Elia mentioned in Tyler Pope's essay, he writes about his wife threatening to leave him if he didn't face his drug and alcohol addictions as LCD sound system was about to begin an extensive world tour. He describes these shows in early sobriety as such. As soon as I got on stage, the feelings of insecurity surrounding performing I had been numbing out with booze came back with a vengeance. Playing shows felt so uncomfortable. I had to figure out a way of not focusing too much on myself. Being on stage provides many ways to get out of your head, but at first without drugs and alcohol, it took effort. I play bass, so for me it was easiest to pay attention to the drums and try to lock in with the snare and hi-hat as much as I possibly could. Some nights it was easier than others, but trying to meditate on the drums helped me with my extreme self-consciousness the whole tour. He continues, Another thing I would meditate on is what a miracle music itself is, and what a strange phenomenon it is that our bodies are propelled to move to rhythm. As George Clinton says, free your mind and your ass will follow. But it works in reverse as well. If you free your body, your mind will follow. There's some amazing stories like, you know, I've hung out with this sounds crazy to say to the younger me, but like I've hung out with Nile Rogers a number of times. Like we've gotten to hang, you know, we've worked together a number of times on different projects. And, um, you know, we've hung backstage at festivals, we've you know, hung backstage at events we've done. And we talk. And of course, our talk partly turns to sobriety and people that we know, artists who we know who are sober. Now, I had no clue that when Nile Rogers had his cocaine psychosis, it was Gerardo, a.k.a. Rico Suave, who brought him home from Madonna's birthday party. Like, hilarious stories like that. I mean, Moby tells this story about um, stopping Blondie mid-set to try to get the audience to give him drugs. 
you know, these things that are like funny and heartbreaking, right? At the same time, they're funny because we have, you know, many years sober and we can look back on our old lives and laugh. But I mean, that's messed up behavior in the moment. So there's some stories like that. Uh, Moby, when we were getting off the phone, he was just like, man, I just want to say thank you so much for doing this. If I'd had this, this would have been so powerful for me. And DMC from Run DMC said the same thing. And I was talking to Emily from Dead. Shouts Dead, my favorite Chicago band right now. You know, Emily and I were saying, like, we wish we had something like this because we both got sober uh, pretty young and have double digit years of sobriety. Man, this, you know, this would have done incalculable good for us to have had when we first got sober. It would have just been amazing. We felt, you know, you feel pretty alone a lot of the time. And you think there's no way I'm going to have a, there's no way a career in music is going to be possible with me being the only sober person. And I want people to understand that, you know, I created this specifically for musicians because I wanted them to be able to look and say, I see myself in these stories, you know, and there is community here that I didn't realize existed. How is Elia working to make Sober 21 a true service project? New books come out and they're like $27, right? A lot of people, you know, especially addicts, can't afford $27 for a book. And um, and I also want to recognize the privilege of being able to do this as a service project because, you know, my career has, you know, thankfully, it's been an amazing career. And so I'm able to work and pay for my, you know, to live and, and to help my family and everything like that. I mean it makes me emotional to talk about it, but like we get these amazing letters from people, amazing emails they sent to their creative independent or to me, or they D or people DM me about how like they needed this. They, they just got sober. They need to read this or like they've been sober for years and they feel like this is going to help save lives. And the fact that they're seeing it and that they're connecting with it, that's what it's all about. And I didn't know if that would happen, you know, but it's been downloaded thousands and thousands and thousands of times. And that's not even including the physical zines, which just arrived recently and are only now being sent out. But we have requests from rehabs. We have requests from um, therapists for bulk orders and they're free. So like, you know, we're, we're packaging them up right now, sending like 10 copies to this inpatient place, 10 copies to this therapist for their clients. It's incredible, man. It's, it's, it's really incredible. And, you know, like the way Rolling Stone got behind it with two huge pieces and, you know, pitchfork, stereo gum. It just meant so much to me because those are the places that I find my music news. I read those sites every day. Lucky to have people in my life with the power to break my heart. The one last thing I want to say, you know, to anyone who might be listening is sobriety in music is not an easy path, but it is incredible and it is possible starting immediately, immediately. And this is not about any kind of like religious bullshit. This isn't about any kind of, this is just about saving our lives and then making music that changes our life and so often so many other people's lives. If you or someone you know are struggling with addiction, Elia recommends the following resources. Alcoholics Anonymous, otherwise known as AA, 
can find more information at aa.org. Narcotics Anonymous, also known as NA, you can find them at na.org. And also the musician-specific group, Music Cares. You can find more information about them at grammy.com slash musiccares slash get hyphen help. You can also download your free copy of Sober 21 at the Creative Independence website, thecreativeindependent.com. And for Chirp Radio, I'm Jesse Dean.